You're listening to Deal Talk with 7MA, providing invaluable insight into investment banking and the M&A space through honest conversations with industry thought leaders, business pioneers, and innovators. We'll pull back the curtain and give you the inside scoop on trends in our targeted industries and provide you the tools to better position your company in today's market. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast, Deal Talk with 7MA. My name is Ben Bruggerworth. I'm a vice president here at 7 Mile Advisors. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the Latin American market and how we approach M&A across the globe. Today, I've got a couple of my colleagues, both managing directors here at 7 Mile, Horacio Yenaropoulos, who sits in Argentina, and Daniel Siller, who is here in the United States. Horacio, as we think about the market and see different types of businesses across Latin America, how do you deal with sector coverage across the region? Okay, Ben, thank you very much for the introduction. Well, I've been with Seven Mile for the last two years, talking with companies all around the region and also with investors all around the region too. I think it's it's very interesting what's going on here because initially investors from the US and from Europe and from other sides of the world has been looking at the region as a near shore advantage location to deliver services into the US. But what we've seen in the last year, year and a half, is that also companies from the region trying to grow alone and going for businesses in the US. And also uh, investors are also looking at the region as a location to invest and to develop business. So just a quick answer is that we are looking from seven miles all different companies from MSP, digital engineering, IT services based companies, I don't know, cybersecurity, everything from Latin America. And not only with a view of investors looking for near sort of advantage, but also for good business doing with good capabilities and good companies inside the region. Thanks, Horacio. Appreciate you diving a little bit deeper here in understanding both nearshoring and businesses doing revenue locally here. So, Daniel, as we think about nearshoring approach here, can you kind of tell us a little bit more about what that means and, and what groups are looking for? Sure. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for that introduction as well. Happy to be here. When it comes to nearshoring, there are different definitions out there. So it's important to make sure that we're all talking about the same thing here. So a little bit of a definition is in order here. Nearshoring in this context is the outsourcing of IT services by U.S. or Canadian-based companies into geographies located in similar time zones, which in this case goes from Chile to Argentina and Brazil, all the way up to Mexico and the Caribbean and everything in between. The purpose of nearshoring is to expand the workforce available to U.S. and Canadian end users in order to alleviate a shortage of IT services providers without having to displace individuals from their native countries and have a move into the U.S. or Canada. One of the key added benefits of nearshoring, as a lot of companies have realized over the last few years, is that the cost of service providers out of nearshoring locations tends to be lower than that of the U.S. and Canada. And therefore, this tends to have a positive to highly positive impact on the margins of the end users. And this makes the end users a lot more competitive and or profitable. Nearshoring has been with us for decades in one way or another, but it has become increasingly popular as a result of three key factors. The first one would be COVID, the pandemic. The second one is geopolitics. And the third one is demographics in the U.S. Talking about COVID, 
when much of the economy moved from in-person work to remote work during COVID, it became increasingly evident that people working on similar time zones versus offshore made more sense for many tasks that were previously being performed out offshore. From a geopolitics perspective, the fact that China and India are not necessarily in the best of terms with the U.S. at the moment has created a geopolitical imperative for the U.S. to diversify out of those two markets. An obvious place to go is Latin America. And the third one is the demographics in which millions of baby boomers are retiring from the workforce in the U.S. And those baby boomers are not fully being replaced by people being born in the U.S. as well as immigration. So it makes sense that given the loss of labor in the U.S., companies can tap into nearshoring to make up for some of those losses. The above factors, combined with the fact that the language of technology is universal, allow for IT professionals who are as well-trained as U.S. professionals or professionals in other parts of the world to make LATAM ideal nearshoring destination and it's a perfect complement to the U.S. and Canada from a financial perspective, as well as for the rest of Latin America. Now, one of the big challenges is making sure that the supply from Latin America and the demand from the U.S. and Canada fully align, which is something that the winners in the space and in the field have been able to figure out. Some of the challenges can be size compatibility, some language barriers, particularly with some countries such as Brazil, which is alleviating over time, but it takes a few years for a large portion of the population or target population to be able to be fluent enough in English to be able to work cross borders. And then also making sure that the companies in Latin America that are interested in providing services to U.S. companies find the right clients in the U.S., as well as companies from North America that are looking for nearshoring operations can find the right operations in Latin America. Yes, and let me add some examples here, Daniel. I think that it's always nice to mention Globant, a company from Argentina that was created from inception with the idea of selling to the U.S. And well, after 15 years, this is a company with 25,000 employees all around the world with huge delivery from Latin America and incredible clients in the U.S. and Europe. And on the other side, we can talk about a company like Perficient, who decided to grow inorganically in Latin America by acquiring companies in Uruguay and Colombia. And well, we sold them a company from Mexico last year. So the different type of strategies, but the idea is it was almost the same. Improve the presence in Latin America with capabilities from here to deliver to the U.S. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you giving us a little bit more of a deeper dive into what it truly means from a nearshoring approach and what's been essentially happening over the last few years with the COVID pandemic, the political issues, and just kind of what's been happening and driving value there. And as we think about value, Horacio, tell us a little bit about what groups are truly looking for, what drives value from about as basic as a size principle and from a capability standpoint. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Well, I think in the last couple of years, initial investors were looking just for capabilities and increase the talent pool in the region and take advantage of the cost effectiveness of having people here in Latin America delivering into the U.S. But I think since the last quarter of last year that investors are more looking for companies 
with the recurrent revenues, with a corporate type of clients, obviously with revenues coming from the US or even revenues coming from big corporate clients in Latin America. Another thing that everybody's looking for is the ability to scale, that is the ability to continuously hiring good talent in order to grow the headcount in the region. So these are the main fundamentals that are driving, obviously, interest and also valuation. But I have to be very, very honest. We do not expect to see the, the premium valuations that maybe we've seen in the last couple of years in the near future. I think that founders and owners of companies have to realize that the multiple space paid in the last couple of years are not repeatable. Profitability and not only growth expectations are driving new valuation. And this is something that we, investment bankers, should be more clear when we pitch our clients in order to set up reasonable expectations to them. Daniel, do you want to add something here? I think you're correct, Horacio. And at the end of the day, most buyers and investors are looking at fundamentals, right? Which are size, if I'm strategic or if I'm a private equity firm. I need to buy something that's sizable. It costs me the same to pay the expenses of a small transaction than a larger transaction. If I'm going to go through the effort of incorporating as a strategic or even as private equity firm into my strategy, a nearshoring strategy, it will take resources. It will take time to get it right. And doing it for something that actually moves the needle that's large enough makes a lot more sense. So the size component and the demand for sizable assets in the region is going to be higher than for a smaller company. So size does beget premium, as well as the ability to show sustainable growth, the ability to recruit over a longer period of time, that can also impact valuation, as well as the margins. The margins need to be there as well in order for buyers to get to higher valuations. Again, I agree with Horacio that the valuations that we're seeing 12, 18 months ago are potentially not going to be with us for a while at this stage. Never say never. We do see cycles in the industry, but not in the near term. Thanks, guys. So with all that said on on valuations and where we've been here, where do you see the sector headed? Daniel, we'll start with you. Sure. In my mind, this is a profound secular change that will take many years to continue to materialize and evolve. As the economic and geopolitical benefits continue to materialize in local economies in Latin America, corporations and universities further align in terms of the technology and language skills that lead to successful partnerships, supply and demand should continue to converge. It will take many years to replace some of the resources that are currently coming out of Asia and are being relocated to the Americas. I mean, if we think about the demographics and the number of engineers that are currently servicing the North American market out of Asia and how shifting some of those resources to Latin America can certainly fairly quickly overwhelm the region, there are many years, if not decades, of potential growth in Latin America, which obviously makes us very excited. There's also some legislative changes that we've seen that some countries have made, like Mexico on the labor side, and some legislative changes that will need to take place, clarifications, likely in some of the South American countries to make sure that this industry can continue to grow and with clarity, legislative and legal clarity, so that all parties involved, including the countries that are providing the services, as well as the countries that are receiving the services, can all benefit. Horacio, what are your thoughts? 
I completely agree, and I want to reinforce some of the things we talked previously. I think that the sector in the region is moving toward more B2B type of businesses. Also, we will see a lot of investments, I think, in terms of product companies with top-of-the-edge technologies and the capacity to scale really, really fast. So, and I think also investors are moving from the revenue growth type of thesis and going back to the profitability type of thesis. So, in other words, as you said, Danny, before the market is moving towards fundamentals again. And having said that, after all investors and companies are understanding this, we will continue seeing a race of activity and M&As in the near future. Thanks, guys. Rossi, you bring up a pretty interesting point in terms of the activity of M&A within this market. So understood where the sector is headed, but what does that mean for M&A and digging a little bit deeper there, guys? No, well, thank you, Ben, for the question. You know that with Daniel, we've been in Mexico two weeks ago in a very attractive event, and we've been in Brazil about a month and a half ago. I think that another trend that is going on in the region, it's about regional or local private equity. You know that the private equity industry in the region is not a mature one, so there's plenty of room to grow. There's a lot of wealthy families from those countries like Mexico, Brazil, and Colombia and other countries that are in entering into the market and also investing in IT services companies. So this is one of the trends I think we will see in the near future, local bit investors acquiring companies in the region. Additionally, many venture capitals have some vintage funds or investments, and they will start to have some liquidity activities in the near future. We expect to see a lot of deals coming soon. So my prediction is that like 2024 will be the year where M&A activity will come back to the level previous to pandemic. And then we expect the growth to boost again from there. So this is what I expect to happen in the near future. A lot of good things going to continue happening in the market. I don't know, Daniel, maybe you yeah. have some other, other insight here. I agree with you, Horacio. I think that the fact a few large companies in the region, and there's such a large demand for IT services firms from the region, causes a little bit of an imbalance in supply and demand. As Horacio mentioned just now, the fact that there's so many new entrants in the private equity space and that it's growing locally is going to allow for some of the consolidation within the region to start taking place, which eventually will result in larger, more professional better run companies that will become increasingly attractive as standalone companies that can one day go public like a Globant or companies that larger private equity firms or larger strategics from other parts of the world will likely be interested in investing in. So it is a nascent region with nascent private equity, but I think that inevitably over time, a lot of the larger players and mid-sized players, frankly, out of North America and Europe will start to look at the region as a great place to invest. And that will only bring about additional growth. Again, the fundamentals for the industry are extraordinarily strong. There's only going to be increased demand. And so having the capital and bringing the need for capital with the supply of capital is one of the areas where we obviously specialize, knowing the supply side as well as the region extraordinarily well will bode well for our practice and the practices that focus on IT services in the region. Rossio, Daniel, thank you for spending time with me today and telling our listeners a little bit about what you guys have been seeing within the market, where you guys have 
been traveling to and hearing from not only sellers, buyers, and private equity groups, but some of our peers as well. Hope everyone enjoyed today's episode and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Deal Talk with 7MA. You'll find more information and resources based on today's discussion exclusively on our website. If you're looking to dive deeper into today's topics, head to 7mileadvisors.com to speak to one of our bankers today. That's the number 7mileadvisors.com. We look forward to supporting your business on each episode of Deal Talk with 7MA. Views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent 7 Mile Advisors as a whole. Securities offered through 7M Securities, LLC. Member FINRA, SIPC.